You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for football, hockey, and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 65 65- 1-4-3-6-1-1-2-0, or visit TicketKingOnline.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined, as always, by Judd Zolgad of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show. And today, tonight, I should say, we're going to recap the Minnesota Vikings' 30-13 to loss to the Green Bay Packers. They had a chance to seize control of the NFC North, and while they still control technically their own destiny they put the green bay packers back at the driving wheel because they also control their own destiny through the division uncharacteristic mistakes some characteristic mistakes uh all in all it was a bad day judd for the offense and defense but perhaps what stood out toward the end was maybe some finger pointing or lack thereof Uh, i think mike zimmer took the podium and basically said uh look the green bay was just a better team but Adrian had a little bit more to say in the locker room. Yeah, Peterson had, uh, keep in mind, 13 carries for 45 yards. That's his lowest carry uh, and rushing output since the debacle of a season opener in San Francisco. And uh, Adrian basically was asked a question it sounded like about the play of the team, and he put it on the team and said we didn't play well, blah, 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 but then went on to say that you have to include coaching too. Uh, What he said was 100% correct. That he said it was interesting. Um, covering Peterson since he got here in 2007 as a uh, as a first round draft pick, my experience is if he's not happy about his usage or how he was employed at times, he will say things like this. Uh, it does carry. A yeah. L- now what he said was basically that look, the coaching staff right has to put us yes, in, in the best position it, possible position to win to succeed. Right. Yeah. And so it wasn't super inflammatory. No, no. But it was interesting uh, that he said it, and I think this comes from a guy who's been used a lot this season has uh, had some very good games and then all of a sudden rushes 13 times for 45 yards and might not have completely thought about the fact that the Vikings did the one thing that you've been saying, let's wait and see on this team until we get too excited, which is they had to play from behind. And when you play from behind, your quarterback, in this case Teddy Bridgewater, attempts 37 passes for 296 yards, gets sacked six times, has a touchdown, and uh, basically has to throw the ball too much. But this all goes back to what you've been saying, which is let's wait till the Vikings get down to see how they respond. And they did not respond very well today. My other um, takeaway, Andrew, was the fact that this did strike me. The Packers are still good. Uh, 
However, this did not strike me as the Packers came here and beat the Vikings and the Vikings looked inferior. The stage to me for the Vikings looked to be a little bit too big, which is not shocking. This is a team that is still transitioning and still trying to build something. But you just did finally get to that game where you said, okay, this is where we all have to take a little bit of a step back. Yeah, and to address the Peterson stuff first, it's noteworthy because he he basically pointed the finger at himself and the players, but also at the coaching staff. And to me, I think we need to keep that in context here. Adrian leads the NFL in carries. It's I mean they they did they fought tooth and nail and did everything they could to bring him back to this franchise, and he has been the leading force behind their five game win streak up until tonight when they lost, obviously. He talked like a guy that had four carries in the second half, and I get the frustration, but he also fumbled away his final carry. And so when I talk about the uncharacteristic stuff that kind of hurt them, it's obviously the penalties, which we'll get to, but it was also the same characteristic stuff, allowing sacks, six sacks on Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Adrian fumbling again. I think you pointed out that now Adrian's got, was it six fumbles this year, which is his most since 2009? Yeah, 2009 he had seven fumbles, and he lost a lot of them in 2009. The misleading part of the stat this year is it's two lost, including today. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, that's not what's important. To me, what's important he's is the ball on the he's ground. put the ball on the ground yeah. six times, and that was that was a big problem for him. It got really bad in 2009. I, I want to say then the seven uh, the seven fumbles I cited to you in 2009, I think, were all in the regular season, and then it was really bad. If you remember, it was awful yes. in the yep. NFC title game. Uh, but, yes, this is, this is definitely something that you cannot be, and I don't care who you, the coaching staff is, and I almost don't care how big a star you are. The one thing you can't be doing is fumbling. Absolutely, and especially for an offense that is more of a ball control offense. They're not going to blow the doors off anybody, and certainly you saw when the game, as I've been saying, is put into Teddy Bridgewater's hands. You finally see that sense of urgency. You see him taking the shots downfield, which you want to see. You saw that in one of the drives. I believe it was the third quarter where he hits Kyle Rudolph down the seam on a 33-yarder, which led then to Peterson's six-yard touchdown run to bring him within 19-13. But outside of that, we didn't see that same kind of urgency from Teddy Bridgewater when games start. And the coaching staffs have said this now for a while. But he's not the reason they lost tonight. They lost tonight because their offensive line wasn't up for the game against a Packers defense that hadn't sacked a quarterback in 12 quarters. Yeah. Three games. It had been since their bye week in October <laughs> yeah. that they had. So um, it's not like we're talking about the vaunted Broncos defense here. Dom Capers, who I think Dom Capers is actually a, a very can be a very good defensive coordinator. Sometimes without the personnel, they the Packers definitely came up with some blitzes that. I think surprised the the Vikings quite a bit. Yeah, but I haven't seen this offensive line look that out of sorts since San Francisco, yeah. where right. it was the first game Joe Berger started, and they were not on the same page in terms of protection calls. It, for an offensive line that's played every snap together up to this point through ten games of the season, it's absolutely uncalled for for them to be to look that not ready, uh, just unprepared in mm-hmm. general. Matt Khalil, Brandon Fusco combining for four penalties in the first half, which together put together I think they had eight penalties for over 110 yards in the game. This Vikings team entered Sunday as the least penalized team in the NFL, which just it, it it says what it is. It means they're one of the most disciplined teams. And to go out and do what they did, and the backbreaker obviously was that 50-yarder, uh, the pass interference to Terrence, on Terrence Newman where Jeff That's Janis, not a great call. No, and it was but third and 15, and I think Rodgers knew obviously what he had, and he's not sitting there going, oh, Jeff Janis, i got to target him. No, it was i got to try and get a call here on third and 15, and it, and it worked perfectly because mm-hmm. Janis comes back to the ball, runs right into Newman, and it turns out into a massive penalty that kept that drive alive and ended in a touchdown, and the Packers went up 16-6 to heading into halftime. Those kind of penalties were backbreakers for this Vikings team, and it's something you don't see them do very often, but I think it was a smart quarterback in, in that instance putting the Vikings in position to hurt themselves, and they went ahead and did. But 
it, it's the penalties. It was, like I said, the offensive line play. It was Adrian fumbling. It was Mike Wallace not stretching out for a ball that looked to me to be pretty catchable. It's all these different problems. But let's bring it back to your point, Judd. And Captain Munnellin said it best in the locker room. It, for some reason, when the bright lights are on this team, they they shrink. They have not been able to kind of take that next step. They haven't been able to uh, rise to the occasion. Um, you saw them come back in Denver. That was an afternoon game, but that still wasn't on the level of what this game was where Commissioner Roger Goodell sitting in the stands. Uh, this is a game that was flexed well, from was noon a, to the America's, what do they call it, America's game, game or whatever. Yeah, but this was this was uh, uh, one of the first times that Zimmer has ha- had a team where everything was right in front of them. This wasn't and all a, they had to do was take. This it. wasn't. A, yeah. It's going to yep. feel good if you win because darn it, we're trying to win football. This was okay, boys. Here's X, Y, and Z. Yep. If you win this game, you pull two games clear of Green Bay in the division. You go up technically by three games because now now you own the yeah, tiebreaker. Tie I mean, everything was in front of them. I do think it's interesting though that this is the first time now in the 2015 season where, aside from San Francisco, Zimmer's motivational tactic or game plan has not worked. It didn't work today because it's worked every time. He's obviously grabbed hold of the fact that you negative guys out there all the time write about, you know, they can't win. The Vikings can't win on the West Coast. Of course, they don't go there very much, but that's beside the point. They don't win on the road. They don't do this. They don't do that. And it seems like for weeks on end, Zimmer was coming to his team and saying, people don't believe in me or you, and here's why. And then he would put up a graphic or a statistic, and they'd all be like, yeah, you're right, coach. Let's go to it. Last Monday, he flipped the script a little bit, though. Because he came up with the T-shirts, yeah, the T-shirts, Big yep, Green yep, Bay. Yep. So instead of it being "you can't do this," it was "do this." Yeah, that's true. I liked it at the time. I, I'm not going to criticize it now because I was on board with it. I find it, and int- if they win, it looks yeah, like a great, great move. And I yeah, find it yeah, intriguing yeah. though that I really thought what I was watching was a team that looked like got out there and said, "Oh my God, we're on national TV. We could be in first place by a lot. We're going to be. We could be really good." Oh, okay, we can't do this. That's what I saw. And the game changer, not kidding. To, you. And the game changer to me really was that pass interference call because it went ahead and put the the Packers then in position. Because at that point, the Packers were up just nine to six, and it would have been nine to seven had Walsh not missed his third PAT of the season. And it's all a moot point because they weren't within one point of the game anyway. Sure. But when you see that play happen, that's when you kind of saw the air let out. Then all of a sudden it was halftime, and then obviously the Packers come out of halftime and march down the field and score again. So all those things kind of just put them on their heels, I think. And and when you saw that, you, you didn't see them respond outside of the one drive from Bridgewater. This defense, Mike Zimmer took the podium after the game and did not point the finger really at anybody but the offensive line. Uh, he obviously said the penalties were bad, but when he was, it was odd because he was asked about the penalties. Uh, so I think uh, somebody asked him, uh, is it just weird to see that uncharacteristic? You know, Is it harder to lose a game when it's uncharacteristic like that, when you know that's not who this team is? Right. And Zimmer just kind of said, ah, I, don't, I don't know. You know, we didn't protect very well. And, we didn't, and also he just went to the offensive line and started blaming them. The only blame on defense he ever had was one call he made on, I think it, it would have been Rodgers' touchdown throw just before halftime he said he went to the well one too many times and and they beat him on a a similar coverage call that they were used to seeing sure this defense still gave up eddie lacy's first hundred yard game of the season eddie lacy just got benched a couple weeks ago for being too fat and now all of a sudden he's running for 100 yards on your defense mike zimmer that's supposed to be this vaunted group that hadn't given up more than 23 points my point is is that look this wasn't just the offensive line's fault this wasn't just the fact that adrian peterson was uh, not used much and then fumbled 
this was also that this defense looked out of sorts and didn't know how to respond from an offense that actually was hitting on both cylinders. Right. Every other offense they've faced, they've been able to make one-dimensional, whether it's a crappy Nick Foles and Todd Gurley or it's Derek Carr and the entire arms on him. Um, same thing with Kansas City without Jamal Charles. They haven't really faced or they've, or they've forced offenses into being one-dimensional. They couldn't do that against the Packers. Mm-hmm. And the Packers, to their credit, they started to feed uh, James Starks right away. That's who started the game. And then mm-hmm. when a- Lacey started running so well, they pulled him, and, and they put Lacey in there, mm-hmm. and, and Lacey took off. A 27-yard carry where he absolutely just spun Anderson Dejo. And, and he just, but you've got to stop that run, too. No, you do. And they but, just didn't. Yeah, my point is that this, this defense showed shades of what had happened to them even in Denver on the 72-yard run by Ronnie Hillman, yep. uh, which might have very well got Gerald Hodges shipped out of town. And obviously in the San Francisco loss where they allowed 230 rushing yards, it, it's it's something where you're not seeing a consistent – something is still unraveling with that defense at mm-hmm. times. And it happened again on Sunday where Aaron Rodgers, they limited him. He was – if you said before the game Aaron Rodgers would complete 16 of his 34 throws, yeah, yeah, g- give me that. Are you right. kidding me? You take that every day of the 212 week. 212 yards. Yeah, just 212 Statistically yards. Statistically you take this, Statistically yes. you take it, but it was in the big spots that they gave them up, and they and they broke their own back. And the penalties, too. I, I think after that 50-yarder with Newman, well, after that 50-yarder uh, pass interference to Newman, they ended up driving down, yeah. and it was another third down where uh, Linval Joseph roughing the passer penalty negated a hold. And then the yes. following uh, remake on third down, or replay on third down, Anthony Barr got popped for a, uh illegal contact. Right. So it, it was just these penalty after penalty that you just aren't used to seeing this team. And then, like I said, the same undisciplined play in the run defense, letting Eddie, Eddie Lacy run all over you. It just it's not a complete effort. And, and the thing is, the Vikings went on a five-game win streak without really putting together a complete effort, and we mm-hmm. still haven't seen that yet. Well, the two penalties that stand out. Now, Khalil was called for, what, three today? I think two were accepted. Two false One starts declined. in a hold, I believe. Um, yeah. But the key penalties to me, or sort of the, the poster child penalties of the day, were Joseph's on, on Rodgers, which yep. negated the hold. Just a because, dumb penalty, too. Because, because he touched him. There's no reason. Just a Rogers dumb got rid of the ball. All Linville has to do is run by him. Yep, and he doesn't. He, he decides to him. shove him. Yep. Well, this is Aaron Rodgers. That's tantamount to uh, LeBron James coming down the, the lane. This isn't just an ordinary basketball player. And you shove LeBron James. Guess what's going to happen? You're not. They're not going to say, "Oh, well, you know, we're not going to call that today." They're going to call it yep. every time. Absolutely. And so that was dumb. And then this doesn't surprise you coming from the player. But Cordell Patterson has that big return to midfield in the second half there, fourth quarter early on, I believe. And Patterson takes it out to midfield, and you're like, "Okay, this is great." And then Mason Crosby, I think, shoves him out of bounds. And Cordell comes back and headbutts Crosby, and he gets a 15-yard penalty. And a line of scrimmage is now you're on 35. So it's just it's things like that. And those are the type of things that this team doesn't usually do. And that's where, to me, they were just playing out of sorts. They weren't playing smart. They weren't playing efficient. It would be very interesting to see at Winter Park when they actually go through this film privately what the breakdown is because I do think there's going to be a ton of things they're going to show and say, boys, you can't win like this. You cannot. You will have. You will never get past the Packers if you play like this because they are going to outsmart you then. And the Vikings just didn't play. They didn't play a disciplined game. They didn't come into the game because I, I saw on Twitter people trying to compare it to the San Francisco game, and I don't do that because the San Francisco game was an embarrassment and was awful, and they were not prepared. And that was the type of game where you said to yourself, this is inexcusable. Today wasn't inexcusable as far as being unprepared. It was just not a very smart game. Uh, however, this is the type of game I do think that you can actually sit down if, and show these players and learn from. 
I thought what Zimmer did after the San Francisco game initially was really smart, which is don't show the game. There was so little right at all in there yeah, yeah, that it yeah. was just it was a debacle. This was not a debacle. This to me was where you where you sort of put the emergency brake on for one second and said before everyone gets really excited about the 2015 Vikings, they still have to learn a lot. And this is a game that if it's used properly, I think you can learn a lot from. And I think the shocking part, too, at least with their performance, and this wasn't on the road. You, you see them go on the road and do sure. these kinds of things. You saw it to sure. a little a little bit of an extent in Denver. You obviously saw it in San Francisco. Uh, they never laid an egg like that at TCF Bank Stadium. I think if they played a very poor game against Kansas City and they somehow still came out on top, that was at TCF. But this one, by far, was the worst that they played at home here. And they were 4-0 and heading into this game at home. Mm-hmm. Where they were outsmarted, though, Judd, was the offensive line to me. And if they continue to play like this, I don't know how much longer Teddy Bridgewater is going to be able to stay healthy. He left another game today. Now, albeit that obviously that concussion he had earlier in the season was off of an illegal hit that had nothing to do with the offensive line. But he left a game today because of another hit that he took, and it was all because Julius Peppers just slammed on his left arm, coming uh, relatively free off one of the edges. And it was something where you look at that, I think it was the second sack of the first half, unnecessary and some of it is teddy bridgewater in my opinion holding on to it because he's a victim of norv turner's long developing pass plays which he did get away from and i want to credit norv for going to that short quick game right away but then also when they get down i saw them get away from that and teddy did not have the time he didn't have the ability to stand back there without fleeing from the pressure this offensive line is enemy number one for this offense and we've been saying it for weeks you don't i mean your right tackle it shouldn't be playing your right guard, your center should be should your backup be playing guard. right tackle. Berger has probably been a really pleasant surprise, and he's and he's still not the guy that you would want to be your starter. I mean, the left side of the line with Khalil playing banged up is still at least your left tackle and left guard, but center, right guard, and right tackle, it. How do you fix that? You really can't fix it. And that's where I come to the point, and I wrote it for fifteen hundred ESPN.com, where unless those guys are playing to their absolute peak. Yep. They are naturally limited, and this offense is going to be limited this year. And it's just that's all they're going to be able to do. And that's in that look. It's not something they could have budgeted for in the off season. You never go into a season right. saying no. we're going to lose two starters, and how do we prepare for and that? Plus, you're paying people who are sitting out now. Exactly, and Sullivan it, it, and Lodhol. And so they're taking up your contract. Exactly. Yeah. And Sullivan is the highest paid offensive lineman on this team, and so uh, so is Lodhol. He's one of the guys up there. So that definitely does strap them that wise. But it's even if you had the money, it's not like you're going to be able to go out there and you know you're not going to deal a bunch of assets to trade for Joe Thomas before the deadline line they they were never going to do that so you don't fix it you try to play with it but to me it has to be then more of a compromise from the offensive coordinator from the play caller i think it has to be more of a compromise and saying look we can't keep doing these max protection sets that only sends two or three routes downfield for teddy and take a seven step drop to complete because even the max protect sets are not working in protection for them do you also get the sense too when, when it comes to bridgewater I really sense, unless the game's getting out of hand and he has to throw the ball, in which case he makes some decent passes, by the way, I sense that he is petrified to make a mistake. They've got Peterson in that backfield, and he knows that. And he and he's working for a crusty old offensive coordinator. Don't you sense at times, he's either holding on the ball because he's incapable of making a quick decision, which knowing how he's wired I don't think is the case, or he is so afraid of screwing up and getting picked off. And I get it. You don't want to turn the ball over, and you don't want your quarterback to play dumb. However, there is a very, very thin line in this league of a quarterback playing dumb and making irresponsible decisions and never taking chances. And unless he gets the opportunity to take those chances, 
how is he going to learn at all? So this is a very this is a very nuanced discussion. Uh, but I think what we're looking at right now a lot of times is a guy who is just petrified of the fact that he might screw up when, in fact, you really need Norv to say to him once in a while, kid, you might screw up, but you've got to make some of these passes. Yeah, and that was something I wondered about, too, heading into this season, how much Teddy would feel, especially with maybe checks at the line, which I'm not sure how much he gets anyway, but being able then to move out of plays when he knows he has Adrian back there, he might feel kind of tied to what the system is, which I is running Adrian. Exactly right. And, and I think that's that, that can maybe hinder him a little bit in his confidence. And this is something where, keep in mind, too, after last year, one of the biggest things, obviously, number one, what they wanted Teddy to do was kind of bulk up, get bigger, be able sure. to withstand the kind of beating that he's taking this year. Uh, but number two was become more of a leader, become more assertive, uh, especially in the locker room, on the field, those kinds of things. Uh, we're still not seeing that with Mr. Bridgewater. And I think a big part of it is because Adrian is still in this backfield. It is still clearly Adrian's offense. Yeah. He is clearly the NFL's best rusher. Yes. But at some point, when they face a good team, they are going to be down in games. And that is when you need your quarterback to take over because your running back is not going to be able to bring you back from a two-score deficit in the second half. Sure. That's not how it works. And so you saw Teddy kind of come to life on the one drive, but then he fell under the weight of the pressure of his offensive line in the next drives. And you're not seeing him kind of take those shots. To your point, though, about how he can be hesitant and you don't see him take those shots in the first half, his first half statistics from Sunday, 10 completions on 12 attempts for 109 yards. That sounds good. That sounds great. Took three sacks, ran twice for 14 yards, meaning that if the throw wasn't there and he wasn't sure he could complete it, he wasn't throwing it. That's exactly what that means. Right. He was either taking a sack or taking but, off to run. But do you believe he can't find? Do you believe he can't? No, I believe he's not trusting his. Start, right. I believe he's not trusting I, his own arm and taking some of those shots. And for instance, that thirty-three yarder down the seam to Kyle Rudolph that I saw him throw—that was a covered throw. Kyle just yeah. had the hands above the defender to it, catch it. Yes. That throw has been there all year. Teddy hasn't thrown it until tonight. Right. And it wasn't until they were down two scores, or maybe it was a score in the in the third quarter. So you're just not seeing him. And, and here's the thing. This isn't new. The coaching staff has been saying this for weeks now and saying, we want him to be less complimentary. We want him to be more of a playmaker. Right. And Teddy, I think, is still at that point of his development, his career, where he doesn't feel comfortable but being it, that playmaker. But in Teddy's defense, too, see, it's very intriguing. Football people love to tell the public and their own players one thing and then clearly send a signal that's completely different. Teddy Bridgewater is a human being. He spent last offseason watching the Vikings make trips to Houston. Oh, Tell Adrian, Adrian you're yeah. so important. And and I don't doubt and I don't doubt that the Vikings believed in what they were doing. Of That's course. not my point. Yeah. My point is then Teddy, who at the end of last season, what do we all say? He's really developing. It's becoming his offense, right? Then they give Teddy this Hall of Fame prized product and say that but this is really the guy now don't break him now don't yeah now, now don't screw this up <laughs> yeah. think about how you would feel you're think right about how you would feel if 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 you are at a job are given complete freedom and then tomorrow this station hi hires john clayton yep. and says we still andrew we still want you to do the best that you can but you're working with john clayton now you'd be like well i'm going to defer to john clayton then and then they come back and say, no, 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 we don't want you to defer to John Clayton. You'd be, but he's, he's in Canton, yeah. and I'm not. So <laughs> yeah. I just I think it's football people are really, and they do this all the time to us, and they do it to their own players. They tell them one thing, don't worry about this or that, or well, that's not what we're doing. And then the, that's the message. And then what you look at is something, and you say, no, that's completely what you're doing. So I feel for Bridgewater at the end of last season and saying, hey, I get this. I got Jarek McKinnon here. He's about my age. I'm leading this team. I, I can do this. And then like you just said, and then you're given this Hall of Fame prize possession and told, but don't screw this up, Teddy. Okay, how do you not want me to screw it up? Well, don't make your responsible throws. 
okay, then what do you want me to do? And it doesn't also help that one of uh, Rick Spielman's prized um, acquisitions of the offseason, Mike Wallace, I think we can now say is a complete and utter flop. Two targets today, drops another pass, and then a deep pass down the right sideline, which, yes, it wasn't perfect, but he needs to lay out. Everyone for that. lays out. For he that. needs to lay out for that because look, my remember, dog, you, me, <laughs> my neighbor, you all lay out for Stephon that. Stephon Diggs laid out for what was essentially the same pass. I was a little too out in front of him, and he ended up. Uh, I think it was a thirty-yard diving touchdown at Ford Field. And those are the kind of plays that if you're a receiver for Teddy Bridgewater down the field, you have to make those kinds of dives for him. And they don't have a big Charles Johnson is their biggest receiver that can run a route because Cordero doesn't count. Why does he not get? Why is Charles Johnson? That's the weird part to me because you can tell Teddy likes him, and you can They've tell got chemistry. To, yeah, and, and it's something where I think the 11, or no, it would be, sorry, $9.5 million, whatever you're paying Mike Wallace, is keeping him on the field right now. And Mike, here's the thing. I don't blame him as much for the downfield stuff. I blame him for the, he leads the team in drops, and it's not close. Right. And he's doing this on all these shorter routes where it, it's something where, look, you were brought in because Teddy doesn't have the arm like Ben Roethlisberger to outthrow a coverage, even though you can still outrun coverages. You were brought in, and I remember, too, when I, I did a story on Mike Wallace in the offseason when they acquired him, and I was talking to the receivers coach, and the receivers coach pointed to one play, and it was some 40-yard touchdown he scored with Pittsburgh. And it was just a dumb, you're not dumb, but it was just like a basic drag route. Like it was nothing spectacular. But Mike Walls used his speed off of a simple drag route to score, and they said, that's how we're going to use him. Because I think they knew then, like, look, we don't have the quarterback that's just going to loft a 50-yard bomb. Right. That's not how this offense is going to work. They ha- Mike's drops don't allow them to use him the way they want to. And I think they want him to be a yards after the catch guy, but all these short routes, he's dropping them. And so you're right. A, a total bust at this point because they, they just can't connect. And which is just baffling to me because they actually started off the season, Teddy and Mike Wallace on a very, very good rapport. They connected on 20 of the first 24 throws. Yep. He was the leading receiver. Then all of a sudden, Stefan Diggs kind of takes over. And then their rapport, with Mike Diggs. Wallace just fell off the face of the earth. Diggs, Charles Johnson, and Jarius Wright are the three guys that Bridgewater seems to have a chemistry with. And you just couldn't talk. I think it's the coaching staff not could it. not talk Rick Spielman into wanting to bench somehow Mike Wallace. It just, I wouldn't well, that's work. too bad because yeah. it's just, that's my but, assumption. But, but, but the fact, but you know, the, the fact today that Wallace didn't lay out for that ball, because I think that, that you would agree with me and saying that wasn't an awfully throw pass. I mean, that was, that would have been a tough catch and it would have been a really nice catch, but it's, he's paid really well to catch that ball. And for Teddy, Teddy doesn't take enough shots like that for you to come back and say, well, that was close. If it's close, you die for it. And Teddy's not going to be the guy either that's going to tell you, especially at this stage of his career, hey, you need to catch that for me. You know what I mean? Like he's never going to be the guy that's going to get in somebody's face. And not to say that he should, but – uh, maybe somebody needs a fire lit under him more in a guy named Mike Wallace. I mean, who knows? Uh, I think that's something where Norv Turner should be the one doing that, but it, clearly Wallace has had drops and he's not going for those kinds of passes. So that certainly doesn't help him. But let's talk about one bright spot from this game. Jay. I know where you're going. Kyle Rudolph. Yes, the very nice game. He atones for his drop in Oakland the other uh, Sunday and comes out, catches a, a, his career-long 47-yard touchdown, uh, and he's making grabs over defenders, and that's something where when you look at Kyle Rudolph, you look at a North Turner offense, and this was the, at least one part of this game, you go, yeah, that's exactly how that's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. That's how North Turner is supposed to be using Kyle Rudolph. That's how Rudolph's supposed to be catching passes, and the biggest difference on why this all came together for me was Teddy was taking those shots, and before he just wasn't. He wasn't throwing to Rudolph down the field. He wasn't taking the shots in traffic down the middle of the field like he did on that 33-yarder. 
Um, and those are the ones where you want to see him then become more assertive and take those shots, especially if you can become comfortable with Kyle Rudolph down the middle. That's going to open up things more for Stefan Diggs on the outside. How long has it been uh, since, if if ever, in a regular season game that you've seen Rudolph used in the Norv Turner style of tight end? A regular season? Never, because, because it was, would have today been... Was what, today was when, when we go back and talk about those uh, Chargers teams or his year in Cleveland and the success of those tight ends. That is how Rudolph caught the ball today, which Absolutely. is you essentially look like a hybrid wide receiver. And this was his first ever 100 career, 100 yard game of his career ever. And the only time he ever, I think, had notched 100 yards was in a Pro Bowl. So first time he does that, you're right, is totally used the way he should. The biggest thing to me though is because he's not a blocker. He's he's. I mean, you're basically fitting a square peg in a round hole when you're trying to use him as a blocker, and. If you can get that stretch down the field, like I said, it's going to open up stuff on the outsides. But to me, for a guy who overthrows balls as much as Teddy does, he's your perfect target. I agree. And for them not to have gone to him more, and I get it, he's more of a blocker now and he has to kind of be tied to an offensive line that's struggled a lot. Mm-hmm. This should be the kind of game that opens up their eyes at least a little bit. And the only time I've seen Rudolph have this kind of game was the preseason. Remember that first preseason would have been 2014? Arizona. Rudolph, Rudolph called North Turner a genius after the game. It was all hunky-dory. It was kumbaya. Yeah. Yep. And it lost all the weight and was running down the field, catching all these passes. Yep. You saw that in the preseason. I think this is the first game now you actually see that take place in a regular season. Yeah, game. and this is exactly this. And the thing with Bridgewater is, to put this nicely, he needs as much help as possible, too, right? So he needs these guys to catch their catch Absolutely. The That's why I thought like, not, Charles I mean, Johnson should be in the game. Yeah, well, but I mean, and this yeah. is also when it comes to, to the Rudolph drop in the end zone last week in Oakland, yep. or it comes to Wallace, who continually drops passes. This is not Rodgers where you say, well, that's too bad he dropped it, but he's going to throw 18 more passes consecutively. Or and you something saw like that, that, actually. You know what? Like, Think I if mean, Rodgers actually had a receiving core where this game would have oh, been yeah. because they were bad. But he's week. not. Going, but in Rodgers' case, because yeah. of who he is and where he's at, he's going to just continue. He basically says, bleep it. Catch it next time. Yep. When Where Bridgewater's at the point, certainly now, where he needs you to catch these passes, and he needs you to actually work to catch these passes. And and we saw that uh, today from Kyle. But, yeah, you look at Wallace and you look at missed opportunities and the Vikings can't afford those. But I still come back to the fact that I just think the game against the Packers comes down to the Vikings look like they met, like they got on a stage and said, oh, boy, this is different. And they looked like it. And they just didn't play really well. Yeah, I thought they fought well in the first half until they took that last touchdown blow and it all kind of fell apart. because The one thing I'll say is this. This was the first Packer-Viking uh, game since 2010 season started, or one of the first, because in 2012 they, they beat them in the finale and then played yep. in the playoffs. Yep. But this was one of the first games. I think their record was 1-9-1 and one in the last 11 going into yes, today, and yep. so now it's 1-10-1. This was a game where I don't think the Packers really beat the Vikings that badly. I will say that I think that, the Packers are the better team, but I, I didn't. I felt like the Vikings were beating the Vikings, and the good, if I'm a Viking fan, that I take from that is that's a step the Vikings can make to improve. That's not saying, my gosh, you are completely outclassed. The disappointing part, though, if you're a Viking follower, is that the defense played much better last year at TCF Bank Stadium against the Packers than they, than they did tonight. Well, hey, look no further than your guy, number 29, Xavier Rhodes. Good old Xavier. Xavier, but, Xavier was not the remember? reason they lost no, this no, game. No, but. no, he was not. But, but to go back to your point, <laughs> yeah, a yeah. year ago, yep. one of Xavier Rhodes' coming out games, one of his big games. It was. He had two deflections on Jordy Nelson. Exactly. And that was one of his big games. And today he got beat for, what, a touchdown, I believe, tonight? 
I'm trying to remember. Actually, I don't recall if he got beat on. I know he got Randall Cobb. There was a significant. No, Terrence Newman. Terrence Newman got beat on the 27-yard touchdown to James Jones and the Cobb a, one. I, I thought there was one significant play he got beat on. I but think the, I think he did get beat on a play, but it wasn't a score. But my point is, it's all. It's also yeah, yeah. Not to not, not to freak out about this because I do think that this is a this is an evolving process for this team, and uh, and we saw basically just a, a snippet today of okay. There might be there's there's more to go here than just saying okay yeah yeah they're gonna win the the division now I think they still might be fine but it uh, it definitely did slow things down for at least a week it helps them that the Atlanta Falcons lost and they'll face the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday to put even if they can to put even more uh, separation in a wild card berth for them but obviously the Vikings still technically control their destiny in the NFC North if they went out and beat the Packers on January third at Lambeau Field. We will have plenty of more Viking talk between now and then. Please check back to 1500ESPN.com for more, and thanks for tuning in to another Purple Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged or Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players, that is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe as a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point a finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.